today we have a topic, sacred speech, sacred silence. Remember, you can ask questions at any time, or just general inquiry, it's fine. Forgive my voice, it's going to be a little bit low. Uh, I'm fighting a cold, so it's, it's uh, taking a lot of my energy. This whole topic of um, <coughs> sacred speech, it's been discussed uh, thoroughly by the saints and sages uh, th throughout the ages. It's a form of uh, dharma, a form of mind culture that um, anybody can practice. And it, and it is a genuine form of yoga. <clears throat> the, the first principle of um, sacred speech is to attempt to be truthful in your speech. And here's my little side. If you can't be truthful, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know, just be quiet. Um, but then, then you have to uh, analyze, you know, what is truthful. Um, you know, before you speak, you have to take a very deep look. You know, is this truthful to your, a common perceptive, per, common perception, your common perception, or? Or is it generally true? If, if many people viewed uh, the event, would they could, could they commonly agree that it's that it's truthful? You know, you know, it, so this is something that you have to think about when you speak. Something may be true to you, but not commonly true if inspected by a group. <laughs> So you have to, uh, <clears throat> you can't be arrogant with your notion of truth. You can't say my truth. To say my truth is, is nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. It's a form of a self-deception. You, know, you have to try to uh, uh, rigor rigorously, to the best of your ability, to speak the truth. Or if your rigor is not that strong, make a qualifying statement saying, to the best of my ability, this is what I perceive as true. See? Like we can say, as a truth, gravity exists. Everybody's going to agree on that. See? You have to apply some uh, psychological rigor. And also a side note again, there's great uh, peace and solace in silence. <laughs> you don't always have to be responding. You, always, you don't always have to be projecting your perception of truth. 
this this equal balance and, and joy and just maintaining it, holding your tongue and keeping your heart and mind quiet. So the very first principle is to truthfulness. There's four principles in, in, in Dharmic speech. Dharmic speech. The first principle is truthfulness. The second principle is kindness. So we have to, again, with every word, you have to take a deep analysis and say, what is kind? What is kindness? If you want to hold together a lot of marriages, you know, start to practice these four dharmic principles of speech. So the second principle is make your speech kind. It's like, it's like learning a type of loving poetry, where you're speaking the truth in a kind way. That's soothing to the ear, that doesn't stir people up, does not add coal to the fire. See? The third principle is youth usefulness. What you have to say should be useful. Again, if your speech cannot be useful, it's best to hold your tongue. Unfortunately, our culture you know, encourages us to babble, and on and on and on. You know. The yogis look at, well, let's say, the, I, it's like verbal diarrhea. <laughs> Unpleasant. Unnecessary. Why engage? So, if your speech cannot be useful, once again, hold your tongue. All of these things are giving you great skill. If, if in the back of your mind, before you open your mouth, you're thinking, am I, what I, am I going to say something truthful? Am I going to say something that is also kind? And is it useful? All of a sudden, by applying these very, very simple principles, you're becoming a somewhat of an extraordinary person. You know, the common will just babble on and on and on. Just nonsense, rubbish, uselessness. But as people who want to engage in the yoga science, what you say should have meaning. See? should have meaning. And again, on the other side, if you don't have something useful to say, your silence has meaning. <laughs> that silence is a form of speech. It has real meaning. <laughs> if people don't see you engaging, it'll make them stop and say, why isn't he speaking up? It'll cause them to think. The fourth principle of dharmic speech is timeliness. So, what you have to say should be said skillfully 
at the right time. It may, you might have something truthful to say, something kind to say, something useful to say, but it's of no value if it's said at the wrong time. <laughs> See? So again, if it's not timely, hold your tongue. If you, if you try to uh, engage in this uh, dharmic science of speech, <clears throat> you'll, you'll learn a lot of uh, patience, see? which is really necessary. You, you can't go anywhere in this yoga science without significant patience. So by being truthful, kind, useful, and timely, when you say something, it'll have weight. When, when you say something, its value will go beyond the moment. See? See? The, the yogis are a lot like farmers. They're always spreading dharmic seeds. See? Anytime they open their mouth, even if they're telling a silly joke, this, this, they're spreading a dharmic seed. That silly joke may be simply to ra relax your mind so that the follow-up statement can see, see, um, enter deeply into the soil of your mind. Okay. So there's no, uh, there's no true common speech from a Dharma teacher. There's always a, a sacred motivation see, behind their speech. So this is part of the culture that you have to learn so that when you speak, one, it has weight, and two, it drives a seed deep into the mind to bring about some noble good, a good that is independent, See? goodness for goodness sake. So. Sometimes people say, well, what was those things, what were those four principles? If you come across something like this, write it down on a card and put it in your wallet. <laughs> because in the moment when your mind gets passionate, you may forget. But if you write it down, and it's sitting in your wallet or purse or in your cell phone, you write a note to yourself, then you can gauge your speech. And then you, you become really interesting. You become an interesting person. You become a useful person. You become a kind person. You know, that timeliness is a type of intelligence. You, know, you become a more intelligent person. Only by practicing these four principles, you get a lot out of it. <clears throat> but you have to uh, truly choose to embrace that culture, see, and then learning to, when the passions rise up, to hold your tongue, you know, wait for the appropriate moment, see? This, is, this is all pure yogic culture, I mean, if you were just to practice those four principles, you'll make significant advancement in yoga. Let's say you're not praying. Let's say you're not practicing mantra. Let's say you're not practicing meditation. Just by those four principles alone, 
At the very least, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> At the very least. At the best, you'll become a significant yogi. <laughs> so, and these are the types of things that we persistently ruminate on. These four principles uh, become a, a subject of our personal, quiet contemplation. What is truth? What is kindness? What is usefulness? What is timeliness? See, it's not a momentary concept. These are principles, ideas, that we persistently ruminate upon so that we can become really skillful. You know, the deeper our understanding, the more skillful our use of the principle. See? So don't take just a moment's understanding and, and say that's it. Use it as a, as a tool for, for deep rumination, deep contemplation. By doing that, you'll acquire a deep culture. So that's in, those are the principles in regards to uh, speech. Of equal value is to learn how to maintain a, a deep silence. Now, learning how to maintain a deep silence will give you a lot of nurturance, but might make your friends very uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, if you're carrying on your common babble, they know what you're thinking and generally where you stand. Basically, you stand in the pit of nonsense. <laughs> but they're very comfortable with that. <laughs> but if you learn to... Uh, maintain a, a deep silence, people get nervous because they have no idea where you stand. They have no idea what you're thinking. They know, have no idea of what you value or don't value. That lack of knowledge makes them very insecure. It's their insecurity that causes the problem. Well, how do they see me? What are they thinking? Well, do they think I'm pro properly dressed today? My hair, my thighs, my nose. Their mind gets wrapped up in this nonsense. A short story. Um, this happened many years ago. <clears throat> where a good friend, a person studying Dharma with me, uh, said to me, Hari Charan, you're a very good person but you're terrible at a party. That had me laughing for a week. <laughs> and what she went on to say later <clears throat> was, you sit quietly and you watch, and that makes everybody nervous. <laughs> I told her, I watch because I'm interested. <laughs> no need to be nervous. <laughs> no? Is there something I can do to assist? So I look carefully. But, uh, <laughs> but it makes people uneasy. Actually, a second, a second friend made the same statement. Not as uh, 
not as poetically or as amusingly. But, but that's something you just have to learn to live with. You know, that your friends won't understand. And there may be a certain uneasiness. <clears throat> their uneasiness is just their own insecurity. You know, and that they don't understand your heart. You're not idly looking. You're looking deeply to see what you can do to help. See? You know? And you're not jumping up, leaping into the situation because you're waiting for the right moment. <laughs> see? <laughs> how can I be the right moment? And then how can I be useful to that person? How can I be kind to that moment? And then how can I bring truth to that person? See, I just said it in reverse. <laughs> but please don't expect to be understood. This science of yoga you're tr this craft you're slowly bringing the craft of heaven to your own personal life. See? Most people are practicing the craft of worldliness. And that's what they're bringing in and through their lives. So why should you expect to be understood when you're practicing the craft of heaven and trying to bring it to your life? If you expect regular human beings to, to understand it, you're going to be very frustrated. <laughs> you know, you're going to be miserable. So don't expect people to understand the craft that you seek to apply. This is where forbearance comes in. In yoga, you must have cultivate tremendous forbearance. Do not expect to be understood. <laughs> expect simply to do the work. That's it. To do the work. But don't expect to be understood in this craft. Now, <clears throat> it's useful to try to gather some allies so that you're sort of not the uh, lone person standing on the hill. You try to make it a subject of dialogue amongst your family and then amongst your colleagues and amongst your friends so that you can start their process of ruminating Maybe they won't embrace the whole ball, but probably no one has brought the subject up. <laughs> so, as people who are studying Dharma, it's useful for us to share what is significant in our lives with other people who are good and kind and interesting, but deeply exercising what is not significant. <laughs> So now that you hold a little bowl of Dharma, pass it around. <laughs> that way, bit by bit, people can say, ah, you know, I speak a lot, but I never thought about making it kind. You know? I talk a lot, but I really never really analyzed the validity of honesty in my speech. Most of the time I'm speaking to get what I want. <laughs> but the quality of honesty or truthfulness was not part of the equation. 
painfully, that is true of many, many, many people. <coughs> they have a goal, a desire, but their actions in speech are not qualified by any principles, any nobility, any dharma. It's just, I want what I want. I'll do what it takes to get what I want. See? See, it's uncultured, uncorralled, you know, bearing no deep thought. So, with all practices in yoga, you must start with your own cultivation. And as you make that, those experiments with truthfulness, kindness, usefulness, and timeliness, as your experience grows and as your insight grows, and, and also it's like uh, squeezing a fruit and getting the nectar of it, that you actually start to enjoy the process. You know, in the beginning it may be a toil, later on it's like sweet juice that you look forward to and that you enjoy. See? It's a, it's a fruit that your friends have not yet tasted. See? But in the course of your practice, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. And you'll know that your, your voice has meaning. See? As opposed to, as opposed to the common babble. See? So, all this has, um, it changes your life, it changes your life. So those of you who have husbands and those of you who have wives and those of you who have boyfriends and girlfriends, you can engage them on this topic and say, look, you know, I always say don't try to swallow the sun. <laughs> Do things bit by bit, you know. Say, for the last four hours of our Sunday, let's practice this craft. See? For just four hours <laughs> each Sunday at the end of the day, let's try to practice this. And then later on, if your significant other becomes engaged, okay, just one day a week. Let's practice this craft. And then at the end of the night, compare notes. All of a sudden, you have something really interesting and dharmic to talk about at the end of the day. This, you know, he or she says what their experiments are, what their experiences were, what their feedback was in, in trying this. All of a sudden, there's a family dharma that's being generated by doing a joint experiment. See? It gives you something significant to talk about. Instead of, oh, honey, how was your day? Oh, it was tough. Okay. End of story. Off to the, off to the kitchen for a sandwich. <laughs> but you can actually sit down and, and start to view your lives through these four lenses. And then your ears become more cultivated because you start to listen to your friends and listen to the quality of their thought. 
by understanding the quality of people's thought, you'll understand how near to be. <laughs> the more nonsense I suggest, the greater the distance you should be. <laughs> to embrace a fool is to travel the fool's road, and when they fall into a ditch, there you'll be in the ditch with them. Why? No need. You know, you can be a good friend at a distance. No need to follow someone else's folly. No need to support somebody else's nonsense. Why? Why? There's enough nonsense already in the world. Why support more? So, that may thin the herd of acquaintances and friends, but the quality will increase. It'll go up. <laughs> See? And in applying these lenses, the quality of person that you draw into this community of friendship will be of more value, of more weight. See? You can have a sumptuous meal, or you can have a dish of popcorn. Popcorn has very little value, nutritionally. Some usefulness in rub, in, what is it called? Um, roughage. Roughage, that's the word. <laughs> Some usefulness in roughage, but very little nutrition. Though all the popcorn friends, let them be. Let them go peacefully. You know, that's a joyous fool. Let them be. You should have a more sumptuous meal. Have your friends become thinkers, philosophers, even better, yogists. See? They're, in, they're involved in that deeper inquiry, searching for deeper meaning. See? So by how you present yourself through speech opens up a new field of friendship, a new field of association, a new field of insight. So you can take a, a deep scan of how many popcorn friends you have. <laughs> and then skillfully, lovingly, distance. <laughs> Extract yourself from the mire of nonsense. It'll free your mind up for something more useful. See? Your time is being wasted with a jolly fool. Life is short. <laughs> Be purposeful. Purposeful. See? To the topics of um, sacred silence, um, this is a problem of of a habitual noisy mind which gives us habitual uh, undirected activity so we're fidgeting in our minds we're fidgeting in our hearts we're fidgeting in our bodies see? because we haven't learned the, the skill of um, taking rest and deep solace and acquiring deep insight via silence. People often think 
that silence means doing nothing. The truth is nothing can be farther from the truth. An, an infinite world of uh, noble qualities and, and heaven's pleasures, or maybe I should say heaven's joys, come from that silence. It is in no way doing nothing. That silence is, is dynamic, expansive, and is a virtual lens of perception to the kingdom. So if you ever have the opportunity or the interest to ask yourself, what is God doing? That was a question I always asked myself when I was a kid. <laughs> what is God doing? One of these existential questions. If you want to have some insight into that, the answer to that, learn the craft of silence, which means learn meditation. In that silence, you'll have vision after vision after vision of what God is doing. Hence, being absolutely truthful, from boyhood, I've never had one moment of boredom. Not one moment of boredom. <laughs> Heaven is infinitely interesting, <laughs> infinitely wondrous, you know, truly unimaginable what's going on. But our vision is very short. See? And the yoga science wants to make your insight very long, see? But as common men and women, our vision is very short. Deeply unfortunate. Deeply unfortunate. And so many of the, the fears and neuroses that are commonly harbored could be very rapidly, very easily dispelled if people would just hold their silence. So many of the sorrows that you embrace and you drag from decade to decade could be easily released. In lieu of those sorrows you drag from decade to decade will be a inspiring, adventurous joy. A persistent sense of wonder. Isn't that somewhat more palatable than dragging this lead weight of sorrows and fear from decade to decade to decade? From the yogi's perspective, we see so much of the human psyche as deeply unfortunate. <laughs> deeply unfortunate. So in perceiving so much of human psyches as deeply unfortunate, can you understand our motivation to be deeply engaged? See? If you see somebody falling into a ditch, don't you want to hasten to, to draw them out? Of course. Of course. 
you know, if you see someone starving, don't you hasten to gather food? Of course. Mm -hmm. So this yoga craft um, intensifies your intensifies your humanity. If you're not rapidly and deeply engaged in lifting others, feeding others, assisting others, where is your humanity? What are you paying attention to? You know, what kind of human being are you? See? How long is your vision? How short is your vision? See? So, this holding of one's silence, one becomes more compassionate, more engaged, more sympathetic. See? So, your mind and your heart become unified and guide your hand in action. You may or may not have all the, all the conventional um, amenities of life, wealth, position, name, all these things may or may not be there. Yoga doesn't guarantee any of that, none of it, not guaranteed at all. But it does guarantee a deeply compassionate heart and a deeply meaningful life. Okay? That your life means something, and when this body is in the wind, it meant something. See? You have a significant spiritual legacy, seen or possibly not seen by man, but seen by God. See? Have no interest in the vision of man. Abandon that. Seek to serve God in the eyes of God and Guru. That's who you should seek to satisfy. Forget the opinions of man. No need. Inconsequential. Learn to do the work. Again, you're led into this work because we're creatures of action. By learning to, to speak truthfully to speak kindly, to be useful in our speech, and to be timely in our speech. When all those things are fulfilled, and as we are in the process of persistently fulfilling those qualities, learn to sit quietly, hold your tongue, still your mind, breathe deeply, take a deep, silent Pause. Come to know yourself. The problem is, you know your thoughts, and you assume that they're yourself. Massive error. Massive error. Don't think your thoughts are who you are. Learn to take a deep pause. Hold your silence. 
in that you'll come more and more gradually to know yourself not your perception of who you are but the realization of what you are see? of what you are see? so you have this beautiful balance of sacred speech and of sacred silence it's a wonderful thing <laughs> that both bound together lead you to the kingdom It's really wonderful. We're creatures of action. So as long as we have that action, action in thought, action in heart, action in body, culture it. You know, bring yoga to it. And then learn the, the science of silence, which is the other half of the reality. You were born out of that sacred silence. From the noun sprung the verb. <laughs> you were that reality in its silence, in its creative silence. And you sprung forth in your current manifestation. See? But you sprung forth dreaming. You sprung forth becoming drunk in the world. You sprung forth and became a fool in the world, amongst the world of fools. I'm not saying fool in a condescending way. I'm saying fool, an innocent fool. <laughs> a condition which can be corrected, <laughs> fortunately. We weren't meant to be like that. We were meant to traverse the entire existence, gathering insight into the nature of creation, and then returning to that infinite silence, that breast of God, full and mature. See? Mature in the wisdom of manifestation. See? We start out like a child, but we should return home, an adult. Mature. That's this journey that we all have to take, that we're all in the process of, of taking. So we learn this uh, science of sacred speech and sacred silence so that we can become truly full, truly balanced. A note when, when you're Thinking of the word Tantra, inherent in the word Tantra, or the meaning, is to come, coming to a balance. See? Being able to see the sacred in every element, every manifest element of life. And being able to see the sacred in the infinite silence. And then coming to a perfect balance. If you understand that, now you're starting to have a true, a truer understanding of the word Tantra. See? If you say Hatha, Ha, Thun, Sun, Tha, Moon, Yoga, 
that which binds you to the reality. See? So you come to this balance, and in that balance, you attain the reality. In the spine, you have the three primal energies of Ada, Pingada, and the Shashuna, the central channel. All of your life, you're trying to balance these polarities. And in balancing these polarities, as they become balanced, they'll merge in the Shashuna and rise up. Again, you'll acquire the kingdom. See? So, in practicing this sacred speech, you're coming to a greater condition of harmony, a greater condition of insight. It has a very direct effect on the rising spiritual energy in your very being. Deeper insight, deeper mysticism. People are wondering, oh, chakra this, chakra that, how do I cleanse chakra, how do I open chakras? Learn to practice sacred speech. Learn to practice sacred silence. You'll find out for yourself. It'll happen quite naturally. The energies will naturally enter into the Shoshuna. The, the energies will naturally raise from chakra to chakra, engaging them, motivating them to express themselves, bringing harmony, balance, purity, each level as you rise up, rise up, rise up. With each level, deeper security, deeper experience, deeper insight. You become a yogi quite naturally. You won't, it'll happen without having to struggle so much. You know. The flower doesn't struggle to open its petals. See, the sun is present, the petals open. It didn't struggle. Why are you so different? <laughs> See? You're no different. No difference. This sacred speech, sacred silence, is a type of amrita, a type of nectar that you'll draw from. The petals will naturally open. You know, no, no need for breaking your head in, in deep struggle. Practice the craft. The energies will balance. They'll naturally enter the Shoshona. They'll naturally rise. Your, your life will be, you'll become a natural mystic. See? You'll have quite natural revelation. See? You'll have quite natural, skillful action. See? The flower doesn't struggle to open its petals. Why should you? See? Practice, this, practice the craft. M make it part of, your, part of your being. Make it your lifestyle. See? Don't make it your hobby or something that you do at significant times. Something that you do on holiday or Sunday. No. Make it part of your... Do you shower daily? Do you cleanse the body daily? Do you take a breath daily? 
Why not your Dharma daily? Why not? See? It has to become simply fundamental. Simply fundamental. You should determine your life. Don't live idle or without rudder. Determine your life. The events that come, we have no control over. That's the karmas. But how we live our lives, how we respond to life, what we do, what we choose to do, completely our doing. See? So you choose this Dharma craft, sacred silence, sacred speech. You choose that Dharma craft. In choosing that craft, you completely change your future. See, you completely change the nature of your karmas. All the karmas that are pouring on our heads often are from unskillful acts of the past, so we suffer. But now if you choose noble skill, skillfulness, intelligent action, can you imagine the nature of the karmas to come? If you're practicing kindness, kindness will come. Act, practicing truthfulness, truthfulness will come. See, these are all blessings. See, blessings that you can endow yourself with simply by engaging in those, in those things. See, those lenses. So you'll, the quality, and your destiny is being carved by your own hand. See. It'll put you in deep and significant company. How is it that from boyhood I've been with noble souls, mystics, yogis, saints, from boyhood? How did that happen? It's because somebody at some time in my distant past said, Hari, take pause. And notice these things. Notice the use of your tongue. Notice silence. See? I wasn't a brilliant, I wasn't a genius. Some kind soul told me to take pause and to practice these crafts. And hence, due to acceptance of that grand advice, Significant events have happened. The community of souls that I live in, and always will live in, are truly significant. Maybe not to others, but to me. You can craft that same thing. My, my experience is not a unique experience. You can craft your future community, those that community of, of noble souls, by your actions now, by what you choose to practice in this birth. See? So your future, your destiny, your community is presently in your hand. See? Fantastic. <laughs> it's not in anybody else's hand. It's in your hand. See? So, so if you want to know noble souls, you want to know mystics, you want to know saints, you want to meet 
the masters. It's in your hand. See? Embrace the craft. I'll tell you, in this birth, the only really intelligent thing I've done is grasp my master, Sadhguru Sankeshavadis' feet, and absolutely refuse to let go. I think that's my only note of a truly true intelligence, is not to release my master's feet. So you have to acquire that wild, irrational determination. <laughs> Nothing but good comes. You know, unimaginable. There's, there's no way I can even tell you. There's no words to tell you. <clears throat> the joy and the significance of embracing such a soul. See? And simply the refusal never to let go. <laughs> See? So I can boldly say with great determination that not even a shadow dare stand between my master and I. Not even a shadow can fall between us. <laughs> That's how firm your grip should be. <laughs> even a shadow won't dare come between. <laughs> That's how grand, how wonderful, how unimaginably lustrous the, the master, the guru is. See? Hard, hard for the human mind to embrace what they are. The embodied sanctity, the kingdom itself in flesh. Common people look with common eyes and see a common man. <laughs> That's why I call them fools. They can't see what's in front of them. Unfortunate. But Embrace your destiny. That's, that's my message. Embrace your destiny. You know, practice this kind of sacred speech and this sacred silence. And so you'll move to the crest and not to the gully where most people dwell. You know, so that whatever comes across your life, joy or misfortune, you suffer like any other man, but you realize this is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. The kingdom means something. This is a lot of stuff, just a bunch of stuff. You know, you rise and fall. You have joy and you suffer like everybody. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. What means something is the kingdom. What means something is, is to make yourself a servant of that reality. What means something is to take action in supplication and in fidelity to that great reality. That, that means something. Everything else, that's not so much. It's stuff of the world, headaches. No, nothing. It means nothing. But if you can acquire some fidelity with the kingdom, then you see the true meaning in your life. And you can see true right action in and through your life. See? Then you become, then you have gravitas. You have weight. 
you have meaning, you have substance. See? Whether seen or unseen, that's the reality within you. See? So embrace your life. Embrace this sacred speech, this sacred silence. Become full. Become real. Become substantial. Before the kingdom. They say you uh, return to God naked. That's true. All, all of your acquisitions of this life, what does it mean there? Your cars, your homes, your pride, your prestige, your wealth. What does it mean? What does it mean there? The only substantive place. The only place of stability. The only place of reality. Of real truth. We apply our faux truths here. Our relative truths here. Insubstantial. Insubstantial. No solid place to stand. My thought is, abandon this. Abandon this nonsense. You know, think deeply. Hold to what's deeply true. Embrace the words of the saints, the sages, the rishis. Take it really seriously. And engage. Release all the other stuff. Become like an actor in a theater. You're engaged in the nonsense. But you know it's not real. <laughs> Don't take it seriously. Don't take it so seriously. Play your role. Pay your part. But have a deep search for reality. That should be your real life. Your real quest. See, not the girlfriend or the car or the house or the name. You know. That's a fool's journey. You know, my suggestion... Release it with haste. It's like a hot burning ball. No good will come of it. See? Release it. A yogi learns to drop this world like a hot lead ball in his hand. Release it quickly. No need to burn. Practice the craft of yoga. The wisdom of the sages. Get to go home. You know? We're drunk thinking that this is our place. Not at all. At best, this is a bus stop. At best. See? Get out of here. Get on a boat. Leave this world. But leave it better than you found it. See? We're cast here. Do some good work for God. Then go. That's it. Apply the craft and go. See? That simple. No sentimentality. No regret. No remorse. Do the work and go. See? <laughs> Any thoughts, questions, ideas?
I'm talking about. None of this will make you popular. <laughs> I have one reflection, if I may. Yes, please. That is, um, the images that came up between silence and uh, um, action and truth. It's simply that this world is a fun house full of distorted mirrors. And silence is the only... It's a perfect it's a, mirror. It's a true, truest mirror. And so, it's not that you can see who you are. Am I truth? Am I kind? Mm -hmm. Am I useful? Do I know how to... Be timely. Act or act. Be timely. Yeah. So the silence and all the other ones are not separate. The one is a way of seeing yourself in it. Finding yourself. I agree. I agree. I agree. That silence is the bottom line. <laughs> and everything else is a distortion. <laughs> Nick is absolutely correct. Yeah. So, questions, okay. ideas? Um, Susan? Um, so the flower opening naturally with the sun is very peaceful and seems like this practice of sacred speech and sacred silence should be peaceful, but it's not because of our minds being pulled to the world and we have that saying no to the world is the hard part. And I just wonder why is it that hard if well, it's not our natural way. It's, it's hard or you experience difficulty because basically you're experiencing your habit <coughs> of common engagement. We have the habit. Your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend, all practice that habit. So we learn that habit considering it as perfectly normal. But they weren't necessarily practicing a deep, engaged insight in all of their active life active mind, active heart, active body. It, it wasn't qualified by insight, by deeper knowledge. It was a frenetic you know, engagement in the world. Now we're trying to qualify it, saying, okay, if you're going to be using the mind, if you're going to be using the heart, if you're going to be using the body, apply these qualities. So it's like taming an uncultured horse, an untamed horse. It bucks in the beginning, see? Mm -hmm. But with persistent application, it'll become tame and obedient. Because it is its natural, inherent truth. Once yeah. you get yeah. that training out, taken yeah. care of. Okay. The, the mind's natural condition is to move, to run around. So the yogi says, okay, we'll work with your nature, but we'll culture you, we'll bring culture to you, see? Mm -hmm. So that the mind at least becomes noble, and then later on, we can put a pause on the mind and see what's beyond the mind, see? So that we can have noble action and then see what's beyond even that condition of mind. So, 
we primarily are uncultured beings, see? And acquiring culture takes effort and a little bit of strife. Because no, there's no support, very little, see? We live in a world of happy fools, happy, sorrowful fools, see? And now you're standing aside from that. The entire community that you've been birthed into, you're standing aside from. Difficult. Mm -hmm. Very, very difficult. You know? But you have to think of it this way. You're like becoming a physician who will come back to help. But you have to cull yourself from that group so that you can actually come back and bring some medicine. <laughs> but nobody in the community is going to understand. They just simply won't understand. It's not their time to have acquired that deep insight. See, they haven't made those ventures of inquiry. See? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. basically, your craft of yoga is going to sort of heaven's medical school. See? Mm -hmm. When you've completed your studies, you'll be sent back to work. See? Mm -hmm. That's the job. That's the job. But you don't, think, you don't consider the hospital the world. This is a big hospital. See? Don't consider it the world. It's a part of an expression of the reality. It's not the reality. See? Other ideas, thoughts, questions, considerations. Exactly. <laughs> Fong has it said perfectly, that notion of I seeking to constantly express itself. She's, she's absolutely correct. <laughs> when you can embrace that silence, that energetic I, that energetic ego, that energetic sense of I want to be acknowledged, can be more pacified, you know. You can see it not so substantial. You can see it as not so substantial. See? That's the product of Fong's deep insight, Fong's uh, practice of meditation. Only someone who's practicing the crap can make that statement. See? So we should all take heart. She's practicing the crap, she's getting the nectar. Yeah. See? Fortuitous births will come. See? This is for all of us. See? It's all for all of us. Any thoughts, Stephen? Um, not at the moment. <laughs> this is a lot to take in. But, you know, take mental notes, written notes. Anything, Greg? So I have a question about, um, say, 
chit chat because uh, I think you know as you had said that people are not comfortable with silence they're mm -hmm. comfortable with knowing where they stand with you and mm -hmm. all that so say you're you know you're working with people mm -hmm. um, like I'm working with patients or mm -hmm. something um, um, do you find that that chit chat can sometimes be useful to get somebody to be comfortable with you initially. Yes, just understand that this is theater that we engage in. Mm -hmm. Understand it's theater. It's therapeutic theater. See? So we chit chat, we tell jokes. It's to put people at ease. See? Mm -hmm. It's to put people at ease so that we can engage in a more significant moment at the right time. Mm -hmm. Okay. See? So this is therapeutic theater. See? But you should always be reflecting on the words of the saints. See? So that you're not you're not projecting your thought, your tongue, your speech. What you're doing is deeply ruminating on the message of the saints and sages and rishi and then bringing that to the surface see so you make people comfortable so that something significant can come through you see not just all our personal chatter or what we think is important what we think who cares what we think <coughs> what's important is what the sages and rishis have to say, so that we should be bringing that forth. We're the junior, they're the senior, so who should speak first? Of course the senior should speak first. We're the children, they're the parent. We should hold our tongue, see? But that takes a lot of maturity, you know, to, to not constantly want to voice our opinion but to reflect on the words of the saints mm -hmm. and to bring that to the floor. See, that becomes yoga, see? As opposed to voga, which is our own personal pleasure. <laughs> you can be a bogey or you can be a yogi. <laughs> one's a pleasure seeker, one's a seeker of God. <laughs> As human beings, we're like pleasure seekers. One way or the other. We're always seeking our own personal pleasure, and whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's intellectually, whether it's off our tongue. See? So we learn to, we, we find our place, and if you look at it deeply, somewhat insignificant. But significance can be found through embracing what is significant. See? So, um, a cup made of mud, simple mud, insignificant, but filled with a costly wine, significant. See? So, we're all just common trade pots, but we should try to fill it with something significant and share that, see, as opposed to the, the chatter of children, which is what mostly goes through our minds.
you know, common prattle. You know. But it's insignificant, insubstantial. It's, this is, again, the life, you have to choose this life, see? Choose this way. It's not an easy choice, see? You'll, you'll come to it when you're ready, see? First we think, I, 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 I. So important. When you become a little more mature, not so important. <laughs> not so important. See? And then you say, what is important? What is substantial? And then you choose to fill the vessel with that. See? Then, something significant. It takes time. This is not an easy craft. See? It's only for those with the greatest valor in their heart. See? Those who can plant the heels and stand alone. See? That can become a pillar. Not a brace. <laughs> a pillar. See? All of your friends are like this, leaning on one another, leaning on one another. Friends, family, community, they're all leaning on one another. You're the stand like a pillar. <laughs> Not an easy place to stand. See? But necessary. Absolutely necessary. So again, don't try to swallow the sun. Do everything bit by bit. And the key is, know who to get next to, see? Get next to those that are substantial. Others, lovingly, joyfully, distance. <laughs> you don't have to abandon anybody, but lovingly, joyfully, distance. <laughs> Remember, it's a big theater. <laughs> I just thought it's good. I have tons of experience with that, so I thought... Um, what I find really is helpful is um, is if you approach that state of when, when interaction with not without any judgment. Mm -hmm. So whatever that person's at, that you bring no judgment to how cruel they are or dysfunctional or it's their fault. And then with what Hari's been teaching, I find that if you embrace that, it's like a mirror, like the proper thing arises for you to say to help them. Because they're de pretty much you wind up in a situation with the derangement that is too uncomfortable to be pacified with your silence. Mm -hmm. But I find by non-judgment, then something will arise, and then you, and then because of practicing these sacred talks, like well, you say something peaceful, and then you never de de deviate from that. I always find it works every time. So either they'll accept that and it'll calm them, or they simply will not be able to handle your presence and the universe will take care of it. You will just be taken away or they'll go. <laughs> it works every time. But if you don't practice this sacred kind of speech, you get wrapped up in it real fast. Mm. And then it's that they're like energy vampires and then they, they can't even help themselves and then they will, they will try to engage you and engage you and engage you and engage you just to suck that energy from you because that's what they're looking for. Mm. So it's actually, this is really helpful but I found that the peace is, because you can't have a choice if you're in the world sometimes, but to, and that's your job is to engage people, is to, is if you can bring no judgment against them, it really kind of gives you that space to stay there. Anyway. One of the uh, some quotes which I've always loved, which fit with what you're saying, 
is not to see the other person, as you said, as either deranged or wrong or something. Right. But um, I think it was Carl Jung who said that religion is nothing if not obedience to your awareness. Oh. And we all live in obedience to our awareness. I may be a thud.